0: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, some 41, 30 seconds to Mars. Oh, and two-door cinema club. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian.
1: It's time to get inside the Giants' home. Let's go,
2: let's go, let's go. On giants.com. I like it, I like it, I and like it. And the Giants' mobile app. Boom, give me some juice. Part of the
1: Giants' podcast network. Let's
3: roll. Welcome to another edition of the Giants' huddle podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York football Giants. Our normal Friday show, we're going to have Bob Poppa with Brian Dable. Lance Meadow previews the Green Bay Packers and Monday Night Football with Matt Schneidman, who covers them for The Athletic. But we're going to lead off with an interview with the Giants' starting quarterback this week. And now in this week's Giants' spotlight is Giants' starting quarterback Tommy DeVito. Tommy, how are you, man?
4: Good, and yourself?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for being with us. Uh, What did it mean to you to find out so early in the week that Brian Dable and this coaching staff had confidence in you to be the Giants' starting quarterback coming off the bye against the Packers?
4: I felt good, but, you know, ultimately that's the goal. Um, You know, I just try to take it one day at a time and just try to prove myself and try to earn the respect of my players and ultimately the coaches.
3: Absolutely. Does it help you as a young quarterback to know earlier in the week that you were going to be the starter, or would you have just prepared the same no matter what you would have been told earlier?
4: I mean, you'd like to say you prepare the same either way, but it does definitely help early on to have that happen early on in the week as it did. So now as, as you've kind of prepared during the bye week, how did you
3: balance trying to focus on your football, become a better player? Obviously, it's been a long year. Your college season would have been over already <laughs> heading into the bye, right? right. So how did you balance kind of getting the rest but also trying to stay focused on football?
4: Yeah, I did a mix of both. I mean, early on the week, I came in for a couple days and then got away for about three, four days just to be able to just decompress from football. Not too long where you'll feel like you're away from it for too much. So got back and then just got back into rhythm and then obviously practiced this week. So I think I had a pretty good plan in that place.
3: And obviously being in the area, there's a lot of demands on you and your time now as the Giants starting quarterback. Did you have to say no to things? How was it trying to balance some of that off-the-field stuff that comes along with some of the success on the field?
4: Yeah, I have a team that's handling that for me now, so... I don't really handle any of that. Don't really get any phone calls, so I'm thankful for that. That must in help, that I regard, would imagine, right? For sure, but yeah, there are definitely things we have to say no to, just because I'm trying to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is trying to win football games. Um, but at the same time, there are some things as the quarterback that you know you can help get back in certain communities.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You had a lot of snaps in the preseason. You had a lot of snaps in training camp. What's the difference between that? and starting in real regular season NFL football games in terms of your ability to learn what it takes to succeed in the NFL.
4: Right Um, besides the clear-cut fact of there's a lot more meaning behind winning these games than there is in the preseason Um, you know when I was playing the preseason I was playing against some twos and some threes Sure. versus now I'm playing against everybody's best players Um, so that's the biggest difference but you know, at the end of the day, it's football. I'm just trying to enjoy it. Um, going out and playing the same game I've been playing since I was five and six years old. So that's how I, that's how I think about it. A
3: coordinator's throwing a lot more stuff at you. I imagine the stuff in the preseason is probably more vanilla, right, in terms of schemes and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, definitely
4: more vanilla. But I think now, um, you know, I've done a great job. They've done a great job, you know, building things around me and letting me feel as comfortable as possible back there and just letting me go out there and play football freely.
3: Where do you think you've made the most improvement and learned the most in terms of facet of your game Getting so much experience in these real meaningful regular season games.
4: Yeah, I think I've tried to grow week to week. I think there's always one or two things that I've tried to put my finger on where I'm like, I'm correcting this this week and then I'll try to get better at that versus other things. But I think week to definitely from the first game to the second, I think that was the biggest jump. Um, you know, or getting thrown into from the Cowboys to the Commanders game was probably my biggest jump. Um, and then continuing to jump from there to the Patriots and then hopefully this week continue to do that and continue to improve on. Small things that can affect our offense.
3: The most of the improvements come mentally, whether it's seeing things quicker post snap, understanding what you're seeing pre snap, or is it dealing with the speed of the game? Where does the improvement come, you think, the most as you get more experience?
4: Yeah, it's all mental. Uh, you'll see different looks, see different things, be in situations you probably have not been in sure. in a while or have been in period. Um, yeah, physically, I mean, everything's going hand to handle itself been playing the game for a while been training for it for a while but yeah it's all mental
3: you talked about having your finger on one or two things you're really trying to hone in on and improve yep what's your focus right now in terms of the things that that you're really kind of locked in on say i want to try to get
4: better at a b or c in these in this game and then in the next four after that eliminate the sacks that's my number one thing uh whether it's just throwing the ball away or trying to get down to a check down sooner uh using my legs you know quicker uh yeah just trying to help the o-line out in that regard and help put the offense in better situations and not have us in any negative.
3: What kind of process, uh, How do or how, maybe how does your process have to change to, to try to avoid that? Is it a matter of after you get through that first read, getting to your second one quicker? Is it not getting your eyes down, looking at the rush, keeping your eyes downfield? What are some of the things that you kind of have to train your mind to do in order to help avoid some of those sacks?
4: It's a little bit of everything you're saying. I mean, mm-hmm. some it depends on the play call, honestly. Sometimes you can skip over some things quicker depending on what the defense is doing. Sometimes you just... You feel that pocket collapse a little quicker, you can just get it out of your hands a little faster rather than try to extend it or vice versa. Um, it's just give and takes. It all depends on the situation that you're in, the field position you're in, the situation of the game. So really just as I've been building all those and watching the film on them, there's a ton that I can clean up and I look forward to going out this week and proving that.
3: How has it been working with John Michael Schmitz at center? You know, doing protections and stuff like that pre-snap.
4: It's been awesome. You know, he's a really cerebral guy. Um, he takes obviously pride in it um, and you know, he's, He's great. I mean, he's the first NFL center I've really worked with Have been around. So I don't really have anyone to compare him to. So, But I know he's just – he's been awesome. You know, we kind of – we talk a lot, make sure we're on the same page, and eh, he's the commander of that offensive line, so i let him roll. No turnovers last two starts. I imagine that's something you
3: probably take a lot of pride in. Uh, what do you think some of the key things you've done to avoid some of those – issues where turnovers can flare because there really haven't even been any passes where it's been close, right? I think you've done a really good job of not putting the ball in danger.
4: Yeah, I think that's just um, a testament to the play calling, the offensive line, the receivers. Honestly, uh, so play calling putting me in a good situation. Uh, the receivers having enough separation in their routes to where sure. you're not getting put in that situation the offensive line, you know, have, having that pocket firm to let me be back there clean to make a decision and don't feel flustered or pressured or tight coverage or anything like that. So they've really made it a lot easier on me. And at the end of the day, it's just – I'm supposed to just go lead the offense down to score points and make good decisions and just take care of the ball, so that's all I'm trying to do.
3: People talk about drafting a young quarterback and developing them, and they kind of just throw that out there as a thing. As someone that's experienced this, how, wh- what's the process like? What does the operation look like, the way you've worked with Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, uh, Shea Tierney, to develop as a younger quarterback, while Daniel and Tyra were maybe the starters. You weren't getting a ton of snaps in practice once you got to the regular season. What does that quarterback developmental process look like as a member of the Giants?
4: Yeah, it's been a little crazy, honestly, especially <laughs> really during OTAs in camp is when it was a lot. You know, they kind of do it in terms of, I guess, how they teach babies how to swim now. They just throw them in the pool and they just start floating at some point. Good luck. Right. So, yeah, that's how it is. It's like, you know, you're trying to drink out of a fire hose. But I think uh, looking back at it now, that helped me um, because at that point I was just trying to float. And now like I feel like I'm starting to get a hang for some of these things. So they've done a tremendous job with that in that aspect. But then just ultimately meeting with Dave's on a weekly even when I was on practice squad I know he's mentioned that in the media before but just being able to pick each other's brains just watching some random games or random uh, cut-ups of like interceptions or touchdowns or what would you do here what would you do here uh, situationally just so we've always kind of been on the same page as to what he sees what I see and then we just we talk about it we have conversation
3: yeah Mike Kafka talked today about during the bye, being able to talk to you and try to really mold the offense around what you like and, and what you do well. Have you found that it's a good give and take where they're taking your input in terms of what you think you're good at, what works for you, and, and what they're putting
4: in the game plan each week? Oh, 100%. And I mean, I appreciate them for that because I mean, ultimately, nobody has to do that, right? I think it's obviously in some coaches' best interest to play to your players' strengths, but at the end of the day, they could've just been out there like, hey, this play is gonna work, make this work. but. You know it's a lot of communication like you said uh me and calf have grown so much over the past couple of weeks um as people together so you know i appreciate our relationship in that regard but um yeah they've done a great job helping putting me in good situations knowing what i like if i don't feel comfortable with something we scrap it immediately so um I think everything's been really positive.
3: I know you're not surprised by this, and no one is because he's such a pro, but obviously Tyrod Ty Taylor was disappointed he wasn't even the starter this week. You talked about what a help he's been to you all year, getting you ready to play. Have you been just really impressed with just what a professional he's been and how he's continuing to help you, and, and how is he continuing to help you even this week?
4: Yeah, I'm impressed by Ty every day. I mean, he's been in this league for that long for, for a reason. He's a great dude. He's been in situations where he's been the starter of the two. I don't know if he's ever been a three, but... I mean, there's a reason that he's here for it. I remember he said this a long time ago during camp. Was He was like, if you don't treat this as a profession, you won't be here very long. So, you know, a lot of guys just treat it as football when mm-hmm. ultimately it is football. But at the same time, like, this is, this is my job. This is everybody here's job. So if you don't treat it as such, you, it's a business. You know, it's always a revolving door. So I try to treat it as that every day. Like, I'm in here early, staying in late, like the whole, you know, the whole regular deal. But really just trying to embrace it as, you know, a job. So um, you know, I appreciate him for that. He's continues to, like I said, impress me every day and do something new or say something new. I just I'm like, I'm like wow, like I never thought about this this way or that way. So, you no, know, I appreciate him. To, uh, one quickie about the opponent. What do you see when you look at the Packers defense on tape? They have a good defensive line, uh, good secondary, some guys returning that'll that'll help them. But I mean, I've. I faced Rashawn Gary before. I was going to say, another Jersey guy coming to, after you, man. <laughs> yeah, we used to play against each other in high school. I always thought I was going to be done with him, but here we are again. <laughs> uh, so I look forward to playing against him this week. Um,
3: home game, Monday night crowd, national TV. I mean, I imagine this is, in some ways, I know you can't think of it this way, but have you, at some point during the bye, sat back and you're like, all right,
4: this is, this is pretty cool, man? Uh, honestly, not too crazy. I mean, I think of it just like a regular game. Uh, even though I know it is, you know, the only game on at night, and it's all everybody <laughs> waits to get home from work to do and watch. There's gonna be a lot more eyes, but at the end of the day, it's it's a football game to me, whether it's on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. In this regard, um, yeah, I'm just gonna go out, enjoy it, have fun, and just play a kid's game. I, that's what you got to do. Final question:
3: Has there been a moment that sticks out to you over the past month, as everything's kind of you know hit you a million miles an hour? That has been like, all right. This is, as a kid that's grew up in this area and knows what's going on around here, you're like, all right. This is pretty cool. This is pretty special. This is what it is to be the starting quarterback of the Giants. Does anything stick out to you at all?
4: Um, I mean, the one moment I could definitely say was just my first touchdown against the Jets. I'll say that. Like, or was that even my first? That was my first touchdown. Yeah, it was. Now I'm thinking about. I'm like, wow, it's a while ago. But yeah, the Jets probably my first touchdown. That or the as far as like being the starter. Probably the whole of this deal, like that kind of, <laughs> that kind of took off, uh, in a crazy regard. But I mean, how many people have you to explain what that means to, uh, to over the past few weeks? Not too crazy. Like I've, <laughs> I've talked to the media about it before. I mean, I don't really have a specific, you know, explanation for it. It's kind of just you know, like you see, you've seen older Italian people do it. So I think it's kind of just funny. I got talked into doing it, and there it was. Obviously, you've gotten a lot of popularity.
3: How much? crap for lack of a better word have your boys that you grew up with have been giving you the
4: last few weeks obviously happy for success but I know my friends they always keep you grounded right oh always it's more family than anything you all my cousins (laughs) is really what it is they all they all keep me grounded every way like I throw one bad pass or anything they're on you they're on me they can care less if I won the game or threw two three (laughs) touchdowns or they are talking about that one all day like how do you miss this and they keep me grounded and I love them for that Welcome to grow up in the tri area. That's how exactly. it is. Tommy, good stuff, man.
3: Good luck on Monday night, dude. Thank you. Thank you.
1: You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with citizens, so go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings?
3: We thank Tommy for giving us the time. Fun talking to him as he gets ready to make the star for the Giants on national TV on Monday Night Football. The Giants Little Podcast is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Giants. From game day to every day, Citizens is made ready for Giants fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at citizensbank.com. All right, let's go inside the opponent, Matt Schneidman from The Athletic, covers the Packers. Lance Meadow is with him.
2: The Giants and Packers meet for the second straight season, this time not in London, but at MetLife Stadium on Monday Night Football. It'll be Big Blue's fifth primetime game and second Monday Night Affair. And to help break down the Packers, we're now joined by a man who covers the team for the athletic, Matt Schneidman. Matt, you got Lance Meadow here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end?
5: I'm great. How are you?
2: I'm doing very well and looking forward to Monday Night's Affair. And this is an intriguing Packers team. All of a sudden, Matt, that you can attest to because they've had quite the turnaround with respect to their quarterback's performance, as well as the play of the defense. I want to start on the offensive side of the ball. Jordan loves numbers, jumping off the page, jumping off the screen, eight touchdowns, no interceptions in the last three. You can even go further back in terms of his strong play. What do you attribute to why things have gone so smoothly over these last few contests? I think first and foremost, it starts off with Jordan Love himself, his
5: improved play. He's throwing the ball more accurately. He's playing calm, cool, collected. Uh, His throw power hasn't really changed, but he's making good decisions. He's taking care of the ball. You know, the first eight weeks of the season, he threw eight interceptions. The last four weeks, five weeks, he's thrown two. So, He's taking care of the ball, um, but also his pass catchers are doing him uh, a great service. Drops were an issue through the first couple months of the season, but they're making a lot of contested catches the last couple weeks. They don't really have a bona fide number one receiver, but guys like Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Maliki, all those five guys I just named are first or second year players they're really stepping up. The offensive line is doing better. The The running game is doing its part. And Matt LaFleur has done a good job too. Um, so I think it's a, it's a collective effort, but certainly, you know, the Packers hadn't scored more than 20 points in a game from week three to week 10. And from week 11, I'm trying to do this quick math in my head from week 11 to week 13. So the last three games they've scored over 20 in each of those games. So certainly clicking on all cylinders, which is why they're back at six and six and currently holding a playoff
2: spot. Absolutely. And it's interesting. You brought up the 20 point parameter because the Giants have only scored 20 points or more twice so far this season. So they have been trying to work out some of their issues on offense, and it hasn't gone nearly as smoothly as the Green Bay Packers. So that'll be something to obviously watch on Monday night. You brought up Christian Watson. Unfortunately, he suffered the right hamstring injury Sunday night in the win over the Chiefs and Aaron Jones in the backfield has missed the last two games with an MCL sprain. I know things were pushed back this week, Matt, because they have the extra day as we're recording this here on Thursday, how would you best assess the situations for both of those players in particular?
5: Yeah, they both seem pretty up in the air. I'll be heading to practice here. You know, we're recording this 10 48 central time on Thursday morning. Right now practice opens to us at 12 10. So we have a little bit to see if they're both on the field, but the thing to know with Watson is he's had a couple run-ins with hamstrings before. So this is kind of a recurring thing with him. I'm not sure off the top of my head, if it's the same hamstring. I think it is. I might be wrong on that. Don't uh, quote me on that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that one is probably reason for at least a little bit of concern. He was moving well in the locker room on both Sunday night and Monday, the last time we were in there but you never know with those things. He's obviously a guy who needs to run quickly. Aaron Jones, you said it, missed two games with that MCL sprain. He seems to be in good spirits when I talk to him in the locker room after the game on Sunday night, but he's a guy who also needs his knee. You know, earlier in the season, left guard Elton Jenkins missed two games with an MCL sprain. Jones needs to move more, you know, when he's in the game than Elton Jenkins does necessarily. So Jones hasn't practiced since he suffered that injury against the Chargers in week 11. So we'll see if he's out on the practice field today. Then another one to watch is Jair Alexander, their all-pro cornerback, who has missed the last three games with a shoulder injury. He practiced in a limited capacity all three days last week, but did not play. So we'll see if he's out on the practice field. So that's three really important players in Watson, Jones, and Alexander that the Packers could or could not be with uh, for
2: Monday night that we need to keep an eye on this week. And a little bit later on, I want to get into the secondary in terms of Jair Alexander's absence, but let's stay on the offensive side of the ball. You talked about the young receiving core and these guys really starting to come into their own. They also have A.J. Dillon out of the backfield, and he's proven that he's more than capable of handling the major workload. But what have they missed with Aaron Jones' absence, Matt, in your mind in terms of the dynamics of the run game at all?
5: Yeah, he's just quicker. He makes people miss better, um, believe it or not, despite how they're built. Aaron Jones is better at yards after contact uh, in the running game. He's certainly more of a factor in the passing game, although A.J. Dillon has made some nice plays in the passing game the last two weeks. We saw what Jones is capable of when healthy. He's only been healthy 100% for you know two games' worth of time this season. In week one, he had 127 total yards, two touchdowns on 11 touches in two and a half quarters. Then he suffered a hamstring injury. Wasn't really 100%, I'd say, until week 10, probably. And then he suffers the knee injury in week 11, and he's been out since. So getting him back is paramount to their success on offense. But A.J. Dillon is an above average number two. I would say he gets the job done. It's not going to be as flashy or as productive as Jones, but you know, 4.1 yards per carry on 18 rushes against the chiefs on Sunday night, pushing the pile, you know, getting first downs on second and third and short. That's what he's going to do. He's going to wear you down. He's not going to run for 20 yards on any carry. His longest run was for 10 yards, but he's going to get the job done. So Certainly, they'd like to have Aaron Jones back. But A.J. Dillon, like you
2: said, Lance, has proven capable of handling the load when it's been given to him. We're talking with Matt Schneidman, who covers the Packers for The Athletic, as we get you set for this Monday night affair between the Giants and Green Bay. I want to circle back to Jordan Love because we talked about the dynamics around him, the personnel. The one number, Matt, that has impressed me the most, especially for – I know this is not Jordan Love's rookie year, but this is his first year as a starter – And given he didn't have as much experience previously, you wonder, well, how does he anticipate pressure? How does he deal with the blitz? The numbers seem to be very impressive. Seven touchdowns, no interceptions. And the reason I bring that up is Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator, he loves to bring the house. What do you attribute to why perhaps Jordan Love has dealt with the blitz more effectively than most inexperienced quarterbacks, game-wise, which I think it's fair to put him in that category, normally tend to struggle in that department.
5: Yeah, if you go back to his first career start against the Chiefs in 2021, when Aaron Rodgers was diagnosed with COVID or tested positive for COVID, however you want to put it, Steve Spagnuolo, who Giants fans know all too well, I grew up a die-hard Giants fan, so I I sure. love Steve Spagnuolo uh, from my childhood. Um, he sent the house at Jordan, and I think the Chiefs pressured Jordan 16 times that game. But he is making a lot better decisions under pressure. And I'm trying to scroll through my email right now to find the transcription from after Sunday night's game because Jordan Love was asked specifically about being able to handle the blitz better because on Sunday night, the Chiefs didn't throw too much at him until late in the game. Um, okay, here it is. He said, I think me personally, it's just being able to see this stuff. I've gotten more reps. I'm more comfortable understanding where I need to go with the ball. I think the O-line is doing a great job be able to pick this stuff up. It's not easy when they're bringing some of these all-out blitzes, but they've been doing a great job giving me time. And then receivers, obviously, they're having awareness of when they need to be open and how long I've got and then just going out there and making plays. So Jordan Love, he's always going to give credit to the guys around him. He deserves some as well because it takes a team effort. You know, the O-line has to hold up long enough. Jordan has to recognize, you know, the blitz and who's open. The receivers need to get open quicker. So it's a whole team effort because they face defenses like the Vikings this year who blitz you like crazy. The Chiefs who blitz them all out a couple times uh, toward the end of the game. And Wink Martindale, as we know, is another one of those
2: guys. So they're going to have to be ready for it again on Monday night. Speaking of bringing pressure, let's flip the script and go to the Packers defense. And this is a team that doesn't necessarily bring the house, but they've been very effective, at least in the form of Rashawn Gary Madden getting after the quarterback. He's got a team high nine sacks, four and a half in the last three games. And I want to go back to last season because I don't know if Giants fans were paying close attention, obviously, to the ins and outs of the Packers defense. But Gary tears his ACL week nine, and we know everybody recovers differently. Giants are now trying to deal with that with respect to Daniel Jones, figuring out a timeline for his return for next season. How surprised have you been with how effective Gary has been given the fact that we're now just a little over a year removed from his ACL injury?
5: Yeah, not totally surprised. Rashawn Gary is one of the more, I think, underrated defensive players in the league. Is he on the level of the Nick Boses, T.J. Watts, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, Max Crosby's, He's probably on the tier right under that, but there's a reason they paid Rashawn Gary an extension worth $24 million a year a couple of weeks ago, because he can produce at that level. Um, You look at what he did against the Lions on Thanksgiving in Detroit. Three sacks, two forced fumbles. I believe he had another half a sack against the Chiefs. This is the guy he is. He's not tremendous in the run game, but he will get after you and you have to throw a chip or two straight up blocks at him to prevent him from wrecking your game plan. You know, the last couple of weeks he has shown why they pay him $24 million a year after a stretch there, you know, week seven to 10, he had no sacks. I was like, okay, you know, you're going to need to step up. Now you're being paid like those other elite guys. And he has stepped up. He, he is the Packers best player. I would say on both sides of the ball. And if you don't have a really solid plan for him, he is going to ruin your day or night whenever you
2: play. And the Packers have some nice compliments around him. And maybe it's not fair to call Preston Smith a compliment given his veteran experience, but it has been a team effort, I would argue, around Rashawn Gary. With that being said, Matt, you brought up the run defense, and that's the one number that is a bit of a head scratcher because they're 30th in the NFL. They're giving up. 136 rushing yards per game. And I think if you're the Giants, especially with a young quarterback and Tommy DeVito, you want to be able to run the ball effectively. What is the explanation behind, Okay, they've been effective in getting after the quarterback, but there's still holes in the run game. And I think it's fair to say we saw Isaiah Pacheco take full advantage of that.
5: Yeah, it's an ongoing issue for the Packers. They have been horrible at stopping the run for as long as I can remember. This is my fifth year covering the team. And they've never been good at it, you know, at least not on a consistent basis. They've allowed over 200 yards rushing to the Lions uh, the first time they played to the Falcons this year. Um, They allowed over 200 yards rushing, I believe, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, if I'm not mistaken. And they've had, you know, spurts of competency. But there's reasons that people don't want Joe Barry as the defensive coordinator, Uh, the number nine scoring defense overall, so I think he should stay. But, you know, against solid rushing teams, then there are other games, like you mentioned, the Chiefs, the Broncos, where they don't get, you know, 200 yards rushing, but they still have a really good yards per carry clip. The Packers aren't a great tackling team. They get the pile pushed against them like they did against the Chiefs. And Matt LaFleur said it after the game, you know, even when they're in one high safety look, they're not in... The proper gaps all the time. He was speaking specifically about the Chiefs game, and that's when you know they get gashed in the run game against the defense that is supposed to stop the run, as opposed to you know two high safety looks, which you'll give up you know run plays to prevent explosive plays over the top. That's the one area that the Giants can exploit them. If if you were to ask me how can the Giants make this a game or win the game, it's really get Saquon going on the ground and gash the Packers in the run game because. Green Bay has shown nothing to convince me that they can consistently stop the run.
2: And I'm thinking the same way that you are. I think that this could be a big Barkley game if the Giants could have success on the ground, given the fact that they tried to do that against New England. Patriots were effective in containing him put it more in the hands of the Giants defense as well as Tommy DeVito. And that brings me to the past defense because I'll circle back to Matt, what you were talking about earlier, you mentioned Jair Alexander. He's been sidelined the last four games, seven games he's missed overall back and shoulder injury. So you take away their best corner, you trade Rasul Douglas to the bills around the deadline. <laughs> and now you're left with a lot of question marks, including Corey Ballantyne who Giants fans are familiar with their 2019 six round pick They got a rookie by the name of Carrington Valentine. I guess they like the rhyme scheme. And then he's Sean Nixon, who is known for a special teams role. He's now had to step in as the nickelback and is arguably their most experienced corner. What do you make of the dynamics of this secondary and why they've been able, for the most part, I would say, to hold their own?
5: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's been pretty at all times, but you said it. I would say they've held their own and stayed above water. Corey Valentine is obviously someone you guys know well. Um, he has stepped in and performed admirably you know he's been gone at a couple times but he's held his own Carrington Valentine has kind of that cornerback's mentality that you need of you're the best guy out there you know he committed an egregious defensive pass interference against Marquez sure. Valdez-Scantling at the end of that Chiefs game and I asked him after the game when did you know it was safe to do the gritty because he, he started celebrating right after that play and he goes oh uh, uh, of course right away like you know, I didn't, I don't know what PI you're talking about. I didn't see no flag on the field. Like, that's the kind of delusion you need to have if you're going to be a successful corner in this league. Um, and you said it. They traded Rasul Douglas, who had been playing really well for them when they were two and five. Jair Alexander, the highest paid corner in NFL history still, has missed seven games due to back and shoulder injuries. Keyshawn Nixon had never played this much defense in his life, and he's been there a nickel corner. Uh, Don't believe he's missed any games. He was an all pro kick returner last year, but now he's, you know, their most consistent defender. And at safety, Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford have both missed extended time. So they've had four of their five starting secondary members be backups for good stretches of the season. And they've held their own. And that's a credit to Brian Gutekunst for, you know, adding depth to the secondary, stocking the secondary with impressive depth. Um You know, guys like Jonathan Owens, who's better known as being Simone Biles' husband, has played well at safety the last couple games. Anthony Johnson Jr., a rookie seventh-round pick out of Iowa State, has played well. Savage is back in the lineup now, but, you know, it's a testament to the execution of these guys who didn't really plan to be called on like this. It's a credit to Joe Barry. It's a credit to Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur. They're going to be more at full strength, I think, um, going into this game on Monday night. You know, Valentine has been the starter since Douglas was traded. I'm assuming Jair Alexander's back. Who knows? And then Savage is back. And, you know, whether it's Jonathan Owens or Rudy Ford starting beside him, they kind of have their pieces back together. But it, but it is kind of remarkable how they haven't completely crumbled these last couple weeks.
2: Matt, you brought up an interesting point, And I hate the term luck because I think there's more that meets the eye when it comes to being able to finish games and the opposition not necessarily laying out the red carpet. But what you were hitting on is, if you look at these last three wins, Jared Goff had a high volume of fumbles on Thanksgiving. If Quentin Johnston catches that ball from Justin Herbert, maybe they get in field goal range and kick a field goal to take the game to overtime. And then, of course, the egregious mispass interference call that you referenced against the Chiefs. I guess what I'm getting at is, are the Packers, from a luck perspective, benefiting? Or do you think that even if those things went right for the opposition, that shouldn't take away from what this team has accomplished?
5: I would go more so the second. Are they getting fortunate? I think so. I think fortunate is maybe the better word to use against the Chargers, certainly. But, you know, drops are part of the game. Against yep. the Chiefs, it's a tricky one because earlier in that drive, uh, Jonathan Owens hits Patrick Mahomes when both of Mahomes' feet are in the green. Mahomes is a runner. It wasn't leading with the helmet. It was a horrific late hit call. So that just gifted the Chiefs 15 yards. So, yes, I understand the defensive pass interference is 40, 45 yards, uh, and the late hit is only 15, but there were bad calls that went against both teams late in that game. Um, that were both clearly bad calls Now it's not like they were borderline calls. Both were egregious misses the chargers game. You can say, yeah, they got lucky because Quentin Johnson dropped that ball, but that's part of the game. You know, if the chargers didn't want to put themselves in that position to have one drop decide side, the game, they should have not been outplayed by the Packers that game. So I, I think I tend to, you know, just give the Packers credit for digging themselves out of the two and five, three and six holes that they were in and putting themselves in a position not just where it's a possibility they make the playoffs, but it seems like a probability. They have the Giants, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Bears. No opponent that's above 500 right now. So they kind of control their own destiny with this thing, which is remarkable considering just a couple
2: weeks ago I was refreshing draft orders and getting my mock drafts ready for (laughs) these guys. Completely understandable. It's just another example of how, hey, your fate can change relatively quickly in the National Football League. And on that topic, this number is remarkable that the Packers are 16-0 and in December under Matt LaFleur. And that is a good trend, especially we are now in that month. I know the dynamics of the roster has changed over Matt LaFleur's few seasons, but if there's any common element, Matt, that you could point to, why has this team been so good? Or is that more of Aaron Rodgers' presence and... You wouldn't go so far to say that they're gonna be able to duplicate that here now with Jordan Love at the controls. Yeah, we'll see if they can.
5: I, I think there's a strong culture in, in Green Bay because even with a drastically different team, you see that last season they were four and eight, won four in a row to put themselves in a win and in position in week eighteen. They lost to the Lions. But the point that they didn't let the season completely unravel is my point. This season They're three and six. They won three in a row to put themselves back in it. Completely different team. You know, not really much better in leadership, at least on the offensive side of the ball. There's a strong culture here. But, you know, for the most part, it has been Aaron Rodgers. 16-0 and is remarkable in December, regardless of which way you you try and cut it. But Jordan Loves looks like a guy. Now, he's been a guy for the last five weeks. Is he going to be a guy for the next 15 years, the next four years? Hell, the rest of this season. I don't know. Um, But they have a really strong young foundation on offense, some experience on defense and guys like Alexander Devondre Campbell, Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark. Um, I think they have a good foundation. And, you know, A.J. Dillon said it after the game on Sunday night. The standard in Green Bay is winning. Sure. You know, every franchise can say that, but that's just not the case. You associate consistent winning with the Packers. And yes, it's been largely because of quarterback play over the last 30 years. But it's kind of been seeped into this building, uh, the standard of winning. And Jordan Love looks like, the early returns at least, that he could be that next guy to usher in this next era of winning Packers football.
2: Matt, before I let you go, and greatly appreciate the time and the insight, a lot of people would look at a game like this from Green Bay's perspective and say, well, this could be a bit of a trap game. You have a Giants team that's won two in a row coming off the bye. Green Bay, still a relatively young team. They've had some ups and downs this season. Do you think the youth that you just talked about perhaps protects them in a game like this, meaning there's not enough veterans as much as in previous years with Aaron Rodgers that you would say, all right, they're overlooking the opponent, they're looking ahead. The fact that, They're a bit young and inexperienced that they're not in position to take a game like this for granted.
5: Yeah, it's kind of a you don't know what you don't know sort of thing. And they haven't been favored for a while. You know, they're six and a half point favorites last time I checked now. And they've, you know, just been underdogs the past, you know, couple months, just going with the wind, you know, playing with house money, that sort of thing. And now it's going to be interesting to see how they start off this game. Because they've started off the last two games against teams that were heavily favored, the Lions and the Chiefs, with a touchdown on the opening drive. Touchdown on, I think, the first two drives. Yeah, they scored uh, 20 points in the first quarter against the Lions. Two of those touchdowns coming on the first two offensive drives. And they scored touchdowns on the first two offensive drives against the Chiefs. It's kind of a, all right, screw it. Let's just go out there mentality, I think. Now they're favorites. Now they're the front runners again, even at six and six. And they need to make sure this, you know, good feeling, this high of the last two weeks, the last three weeks, doesn't seep into this Monday night just because, you know, it might be an easier opponent on paper. Because the second you do that is the second you suffer the fate of the Lions and the Chiefs and you get upset by a team that you should beat. So that's the challenge this week. I'll be interested to see how they're approaching this game when we get into the locker room later today. But certainly I do not think this is a, you know, Easy win. Um, I think the Packers are going to win, but
2: there's a reason the games are played on the field and not just on paper. Absolutely. That's why the NFL is defined by parity because just when you think you figure it out, they have other plans. It is the Giants and the Packers on Monday Night Football as these teams will meet for the second straight season. He is Matt Schneidman, who covers the Packers for the Athletic. Matt, always great catching up with you. Greatly appreciate the time and looking forward to Monday night's game. My pleasure. See you out there. You got it. My pleasure as well. You love turf.
1: You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows. Your savings
3: grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings? We thank Matt. Great insight there on the Green Bay Packers, who are going to be a tough opponent on Monday night. Great job by Lance. Giant fans love a winner. It's why they love Citizens. Named a 2022 best bank in the U.S. by The Banker. As the official bank of the Giants and sponsor of the huddle, Citizens is made ready for fans of Big Blue. Learn more at CitizensBank.com. We wrap things up with the big man, the head coach of the NYG, with the voice of Big Blue, Bob Papa, with Brian Dable. And as always, we're joined
6: by the head coach of the New York football Giants, Brian Dable. Giants take on the Green Bay Packers. Giants had a chance to enjoy their bye week and now getting ready to take on Green Bay. They've won three in a row. Coach, um, As you went through the bye week, did you learn anything as you did some extra looking back at the first part of the season that you saw on tape that maybe you had missed?
1: Yeah, you know, like like I said, Bob, we try to do that each week, um, stay on top of our trends and tendencies. But to have a little extra time, you certainly dive into it a little bit more, and it was a productive week.
6: You made the decision and the announcement earlier in the week that Tommy DeVito would get the start. Um, He's won two in a row uh, going into the bye. Now going against a Packers team that – you know, Bo's a really good defense, Coach. You know, we talk about everybody gets, you know, very focused on Jordan Love and what he's doing as his first year as starter. But when you take a look at what the Packers have done defensively, it's pretty impressive, especially with the guys that can get after the quarterback. What's your take as you looked at them on film?
1: Yeah, first of all, they don't give up a lot of points. Um, I think there's been two games where it's been 25 or more points. Um, so they've done a good job of of holding the opponent. They play very good red zone defense. Um, Like you said, they have good pass rushers. Well, that's Preston Smith, Gary. You know, they have good young talent with Quay Walker. Um, You know, Alexander is a a premier corner in this league. Kenny Clark is a problem inside. So they play good team defense, um, do a really good job tightening up in the red zone and have have played good football.
6: You mentioned Rashawn Gary. Obviously, this is a little bit of a homecoming for him uh, having grown up in New Jersey. Is he one of those guys where you almost have to say, all right, he's going to get some of his during the course of the game, but we can't let a guy like that completely wreck the game?
1: Yeah, you, you certainly try. Um, you know, these teams that you play that have premier edge rushers always present issues. And, you know, you do the best job you can in terms of game planning. Um, but, like you said, the, the really good players always find a way. And we've played a number of them this year. And we're going to have to do a good job, um, not only against him, who, who he is a premier player, but the rest of the rest of the crew that they have coach one of the things that's
6: been impressive about the team this year uh in regards to commitment level on uh trying to be consistent and what i mean by that is like your old boss charlie weiss he always says hey sometimes it's not the yards per carry but it's the volume of runs and and we've seen that with saquon where it's been rough sledding for the run game and then he kind of cracks one and it just sort of opens the seal for everything else is that something that is conscious in your mind of making sure that we get to runs no matter kind of what the result is?
1: Yeah, I think trying to, you know, execute the play, whatever that's called, but Saquon has has done a good job for us. Uh, It's never going to be perfect in the run game or the pass game, but, you know, making sure you try to involve your best players uh, any way you can.
6: Coach, the offensive line, obviously, you know, we, we know about the injuries and what you've had to deal with as a staff throughout the course of the season, but it kind of feels like they're getting into a little bit of a rhythm with some continuity and, and having this group. Uh, what have you seen, and why do you attribute this growth process?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, the offensive line is a tough position. You, you usually need five guys operating as one on each play. So uh, the more they play together, the more the communication improves um, – you know, they have, you know, a, a variety of calls that they need to make and, and be on the same page with. And the more you play together, usually you, you make improvements, and, and that's what we're trying to do.
6: Coach, Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, you take a look at, uh, you know, third downs, right, and you guys have been in a bunch of third and nine pluses, and some of that is a function of, you know, sacks allowed, and and, you know, every sack comes with a different story to it. Um, What are some of the things that you've worked with with Tommy DeVito as far as that's concerned, as far as, you know, taking less of them but continuing to not put the ball in harm's way?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing is ball security offensively. Uh, But, you know, uh, sacks are are a team stat, so there's a variety of reasons uh, for the sacks that we've had. And, you know, each position group is is working on trying to improve in, in that area.
6: And finally, Coach, Monday night, you know, you, you got to kill a lot of time on Sunday. Everybody else is playing. Uh, you're waiting for the game on Monday night. Do the juices get flowing a little bit more when you, when you bounce out there, knowing that you're the, the last game of the weekend?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to play on, on Monday night. Um, you know, we have a great fan base. Uh, we'll be here, and uh, we're excited to, to play. Um, we're excited for the opportunity. Uh, and we're, all we're trying to do is, is put our best foot forward and, and play a solid complimentary game.
6: Coach, best of luck tonight, and uh, we'll do it again next week. But good luck tonight against the
3: Packers. Thanks, Bob. We thank Brian Dale, well, Matt Schneidman, and, of course, Tommy DeVito for joining us. Good job by Lance and Bob. And I hope you enjoyed this Friday edition of the Giants Hotel Podcast brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. Enjoy your weekend. we got a couple more days here before the game on Monday night. Should be fun. Should be a fun game. Hope to see you out there. Thanks for being with us in the John Total Podcast. We'll see you next time.
0: Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25 until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
6: Hey, guys. Back at the playground
5: again, huh?
0: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine
3: country.